right, welcome everyone to the Mind of Sanity. We are doing a part two out of probably at least three parts on environmental racism. Um, if you remember with the last episode, we talked a little bit about green spaces, um, the idea of NIMBY, as well as um, we talked quite a bit about the Manhattan Project. So this is going to be a little bit of a continuation on that, I believe. We're going to talk more about the Manhattan Project? Um, not about the Manhattan Project, but uh, environmental racism. Yeah. I like talking about the Manhattan Project. <laughs> it's like MK Ultra and my hatred for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> but we're mainly going to talk about a couple of key things. Um, and to kick it off, I'm going to mention a brief statistic, which is that um, 75% or black or people of color or black people are more, are seventy five percent more likely than whites to live in fence line communities. Fence line communities are those communities kind of at the fringes of, um, I guess, more commercial zones. So they're more likely to be at the fringes of like a landfill or a like a chemical plant or something like that. So these are not directly next to it, but you know, right on in the, the surrounding line. areas. Surrounding areas, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's literally called fence line, like. Think about where the fences would be on that kind of facility. I'm not gonna lie, I was thinking gated community when you said that. I'm <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that's wrong, but no, that makes more sense. But um, so not only are they more like you know they're they're con considerably more likely to live in these communities that are close to these things, but as a result, they're also more likely to die of environmental hazards. And um, some of it's just the more obvious things, like I said, if you're near uranium, for example, you might get things like cancer. <laughs> but there, there's other cases too, like growing up in Ohio, for example, there was a lot of coal industry out there. And there was times driving through kind of the low income parts of it, as I was going to say, like my grandma, who was not necessarily in a low income area, but dying town kind of thing. There are literal piles of like things like coal ash, which are not exactly the healthiest thing to be breathing in, you know? What? It sounds so good. <laughs> it has the word coal and the word ash. ash. right. How could it be bad? Those are both good things to inhale. <laughs> but, um, so if you're picturing that pile, for example, I'm going to bring up one other ways in which the uh, minority communities are more heavily affected by climate change. And that is from... Um, kind of natural hazard triggered technological disaster events. Like Chernobyl? Yeah, oh. actually, exactly. So it could be something like maybe an earthquake happens and a landfill loses, um, like uh, something happens and the landfill lining is no longer working. It's leaching a bunch of contaminants into the local water system. I have a question. Sure. It's completely off topic. Okay. If an earthquake happens, right? Okay. And it happens underneath a landfill. Obviously other places too. We're specifically talking the landfill. And it breaks so much like in the movies that you can see the lava, right? Right. <laughs> obviously not. And all of the landfill fell into the lava. Would that just like solve itself or more problems? What do you think? I feel like that would be really bad. <laughs> Is it because we are done? Like the extra fumes and stuff alone? It's just going to make a little more methane. How bad could it be? Just oh, blow up an entire city because of the landfill <laughs> and an earthquake? That's just one example. Like A lot of landfills do take safeguards for certain levels of events, but some things are a little bit less avoidable. If you have like a whole thing, for example, of a bunch of um, 
like coal ash or like fly ash and like a tornado goes through. That's another example, something you could see. Um, something like Chernobyl is another example where it's absolutely devastating <laughs> to the nearby areas. Um, or even just something like, uh, actually a really good example that I can think of is Jackson, Mississippi. The um, birthplace of blues? Yeah. All right. So last year, there were a lot of headlines about their water crisis. Are you familiar with that at all? No, but I'm like familiar. Hold on one second. So yeah, the only thing I really know about Mississippi, and I know a lot about it, is the birthplace of the blues. Um, Charlie Patton is from uh, Mississippi. Well, now you're going to hear at least about Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> I don't know. I but Don't quote me, but I think Robert Johnson's also from Jackson, Mississippi. And Robert Johnson's like one of my favorites. So. Nerd. <laughs> Not a nerd. And I also don't know for sure if he's actually from Jackson. But like, I know uh, the Blues started in Mississippi. And, and Mark Twain's from Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with Jackson, Mississippi, it made a bunch of headlines last year about a water crisis. And, um, you know, Jackson, Mississippi is a black majority city and they have, you know, it's an old city and kind of an aging like sewer system and water treatment system. Right. Yeah. You said Mississippi. (laughs) And basically since at least 2012, they, the city has been violating the safe drinking water act and the clean water act largely due to outdated systems. They've had over 2,300 violations. Wait. What? Yeah. 2,300 violations. Yeah, exactly. And um, they did try to work on it. And like the the city often asked for, uh, asked the state for a budget in order to work on a lot of these things. Like they asked back in 2010, for example. And they asked again in 2021. And every time they were either denied the funding or given considerably less. Like this reminds me of that little little town that got Russia to fix its bridge for them. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a very similar story. Their bridge broke down. Their only way to get to this town is via this bridge. And so they're like contacting the federal government, like, hey, can you fix our bridge? Next year. Hey, can you fix our fucking bridge? Hey, can you fix our fucking bridge? And eventually, this got noticed by Russia, uh, as in, like, the Russian government heard of this United States town, mm-hmm. and Russia got involved and was, I, I can't remember if they did pay for it, uh, but at the very least, I know they were going to pay for it. I can't remember if they did. And then the U.S. was like, here you go. Here's your money. Pay for your <laughs> like, fine. We'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my phone went on. Um, but yeah, no, it's. It weirdly reminds me of that. So I swear to God, if you're about to tell me that Russia got involved, <laughs> no. it's now helping Mississippi. I'm going to be like, no. But but no, like, like they, they knew it was a problem. So they reached out to the state and they were like, hey, we really need funding to fix our old systems. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of a big enough system where it's going to be in the billions of dollars, right? Oh, shit. So it's it's not cheap, but they would they would ask like, hey, we need X amount. And if they got anything, it would be like maybe a tenth of what they requested. Clearly not enough to do much. Yeah. You know? And it's been kind of an ongoing thing for years upon years upon years where they were constantly having, um, you know, boil water notices, among other things. 
because with heavy rains and any kind of flooding, the sewage system would kind of spill over. And a lot of it would also end up in the Pearl River, which means that their water treatment plant had to go in kind of overdrive, right? That's icky. Very, very icky. And there were other issues too. So like they've had, they've had internal billing issues. So people weren't getting billed who should have been getting billed. They were having faulty meters, like a ton of breaks in their lines. Um, so a ton of water out the window. It was estimated at one point that 50% of the water being supplied brought in no income. So if you think about how big of a drain that is to a city's resources as well, yeah. you know, on multiple levels. Yeah. But in 2022, there was some severely heavy rain, which caused, you know, hundreds of millions of, gal- of gallons of raw sewage to go into the river. And at that point, their water treatment plant was already on backup systems and did not have the capacity to keep working. And it, it itself got kind of damaged and flooded, you know. So they stopped being able to process any water indefinitely. Because that's... <laughs> That's good. I swear. No bad can happen from this whatsoever. Right. And this was last year. And since then, um, you know, the government stepped in quite a bit more. FEMA got brought in. Like, it became a problem, you know? Like, kids couldn't go to school. They had to do remote learning. Like, all kinds of stuff happened. It didn't become a problem. It It already was a problem. And we didn't get it solved until it was a problem. Yeah, but it wasn't being prioritized in part because it was an ethnic community, you know? And the problem is, though, I actually read an article just to kind of be like, oh, well, that was last year. I wonder what's coming now. So I read something written by a local, and they were saying it's still not fixed. Like, yeah, certain things have been patched. They're saying that certain things are fine. You know, like, so-and-so says it's okay, but, like, we can, we still know it's it's not okay. And it's also becoming even more privatized now. So they're also losing kind of control over their own abilities to take care of their water you know so wait i'm what what, privatized you mean like (laughs) the city's water is becoming privatized like another company stepped in like hey we can purify your water for you kind of thing of course um i i don't remember if the facility had already been there and like they were like an extra one or what but um, apparently a lot of locals are really not thrilled at the idea of their water becoming privatized because they've also apparently been doing things like going after, like they've been trying to get permission essentially to get access to the, if I remember right, the electrical records that the city has to see who's paying what for electricity. And if those people aren't paying for water, they're trying to slam them with fees and fines and say like, oh, you're stealing illegally from us. So it's another form of like, I guess, commercial enforcement on stuff. When it's really just probably old systems that are way outdated, desperately needing improvement that they weren't being authorized the funding for. So it's still a problem and it's probably going to be a problem for a while. Like just think about how long it took with like Flint, Michigan. I think they're still having problems last night too, (laughs) you know, it's, it's deeply problematic. And that's kind of another example of environmental racism. Like they weren't being prioritized with the funding and they weren't being prioritized for correcting the issues, you know? I just, I'm sorry. I get, I get what you're saying is bad, but my brain is still on the idea of privatizing water again. We, we already do this with bottled water, the largest scam I've ever heard of ever. And think about this entire community that's been also reliant on 
water, bottled water. <laughs> like they, they can't access or drink their water from their tap. How do they shower? Exactly. This is why I'm saying like this happened like last year, like kids could not go to school. A lot of workplaces had to shut down because people didn't have enough access to water. You know, it was a problem. Yeah. That's a big fucking problem. <laughs> so we pollute the water and then we immediately are capital. This is my issue with capitalism by itself. Like capitalism to me, I guess just to me, capitalism should stay the fuck out of the things we need. We shouldn't have it in medicine. We shouldn't have it in food. We shouldn't have it in water. Like it's not, you should not be privatizing these things. We need medicine. We need water. We need food. We need housing. These mm -hmm. privatizing them. Like, do you know how many times I've argued with people over the homeless situation? Like when people are like, oh, the homeless are such a problem. Like, yeah, man, capitalism sucks. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, yeah, capitalism causes them to be homeless. If it wasn't for capitalism, they could have a home. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, okay, do you own your own home? And a lot of them uh, will be like, yeah, or I'm like, no. I'm like, okay, well, do you rent? And they're like, well, yeah. And if they own their home, I'm like, okay, do you pay a mortgage? And they're like, yeah. Imagine if you didn't. Imagine if you couldn't. You lost your job and you were already living paycheck to paycheck. What are you going to do? You're going to be homeless. And what is the cause of this? Is them losing their job? Is that their fault? That the factory closed down because of X reasons? Usually asshole rich people being assholes. Is it their fault? Nah, of course not. Mm -hmm. But the consequence is the same. And... The disease is still capitalism. That's not the social safety net. Yeah. And it used to be that people would benefit more from capitalism. There was more of a distribution of the benefits of it. But now things have become so unequal with the um, top 1% having such an extreme amount of the wealth. You know how they did that? How? Super simple. Okay. Red Scare. Okay. The Red Scare did that. So there's two parts to this. There's... Uh, the Red Scare during the, actually, I guess it's just one part. The Red Scare, which is the Cold War with Russia, villainizing communism. Example, why is uh, Under God in the Pledge of Allegiance? It was literally made because propaganda at the time was saying that communism was Satanism. And therefore, putting Under God into the Pledge of Allegiance made the United States Pledge of Allegiance not just a Pledge of Allegiance to the United States, but also a prayer. That was the logic behind it. Hmm. But that logic was very specific on where of God and communist Russia is of the devil. Now, I'm not defending communist Russia. Communist Russia wasn't actually really communist, actually. Um, but that villainizing of communism that went on from the essentially like before World War II but heavily afterwards, which is literally nicknamed the Red Scare, um, was just villainizing communism over and over and over. And this leads to something. And it leads to, uh, when you villainize communism, you villainize unions. And when you villainize unions, like Ronald fucking Reagan did, and uh, you start union busting, right? And you take away people's right to fight for their 
like their rights. And when mm-hmm. I say their rights, I mean their right to like work and whatnot. Because under capitalism, you have to have capital to make money, right? Now, capital is often money. When we say capital, we mean, oh, he put up the capital. He put up the money. But everyone has to have capital in order to make money in capitalism. So what is your capital? It's time. So when you are at a job, you are selling your time. And when that job doesn't want to pay you right, you can go to another job that will pay you more, right? Well, what happens when the entire industry that you work in, all the skills you have, whether it be mining, factories, tech, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. what happens when none of those jobs are paying you what you should be paid? Oh, you have to come together as a whole, as a group, as the workers selling their time to fight for your raise, to fight for, no, we need more money, right? Now, this uh, entirety, this anti-communist ideas that came with the Red Scare heavily influenced union busting and propaganda against unions. Unions were uh, associated with the Red Scare. And if you're wondering how, it's not because it's called the Soviet Union. It's called because it's called Soviet, which in Russian means union. And yes, that means we're, we call them union union for <laughs> fucking six decades because we're fucking dumb. But no, the Soviets literally were called the unions, right? So fucking uh, when you start and you get rid of all the unions because you're actively putting propaganda against the idea of them, guess what? The rich get away with everything. You can't stop them because the only way to stop them is together and we can't get together anymore. And then you, you add in things like trickle-down economics and tax breaks and all that. Well, not just stuff. that. So, like, yes, Reagan is famous for things like trickle-down economics. Um, I think the only defense to him with that is that he truly believed that it would work. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's true, but that is the defense I've heard. And it's not really defense. It's more like a bit of an excuse for him. Just like, let's not blame Ronald Reagan for this, even though he's the guy who did it. He was influenced by these men who knew it wasn't going to work. And that's essentially the idea. I don't know how true that is. Either way, it didn't fucking work. However, it's not just that. Um, So minimum wage stopped going up under Ronald Reagan. Unions went literally like dropped like 40% of membership under Reagan alone. And it was Reagan's policies that continued to bring that fucking shit down. Jeez. Yeah. And all of this was... You, in the way this was like, uh, what's the word? Excuse? No. Um, justify. The way that they justify doing this all revolved around the Red Scare. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's it's garbage. And of course, there's a lot more to it. I'm cutting out a lot, but like, this is, yeah. So not only is war profitable, but almost wars are also profitable. <laughs> no, the Cold War is still a war. Uh, that's like, true. It just it has the word war in it. True. Uh, the only reason they call it a cold war is it's not boots on the ground shooting. Yeah. But people still died. People. True. Like people feared for their lives. Yeah. Like for example, every civil war ever started with a cold war. Yeah. A civil cold war. Um, but either way, um, no, of course, it propaganda is profitable. 
Yeah. I don't... Maybe this is a flaw in my character. I don't really see a difference between marketing and propaganda. Marketing is propaganda. Yeah, it's It's, propaganda about a product. It's manipulating you to get you to believe that you need a product you don't really need. Mm -hmm. You know, like, example, how many, how often, discounting restaurants, right? Who are marketing for their food being better than everyone else's. In general, how often do you see food be advertised? I think one of the only ones I can think of is candy, right? Alcohol. And it wasn't counting alcohol. Okay. Um, and I remember Tyson chicken. I've seen oh, a lot for like one green beans and stuff. Yeah. No. Like there, there are a lot less of them compared to everything else because you don't really have to advertise food. You have to advertise your brand, which is then is mostly lying saying your brand is better than the other brands. No. When most of them are the same. No. But, no, it's, it's just garbage. It's all down. Yeah. Anyways. But capitalism is an inspection. <laughs> like, kind of bringing it back to, to Jackson. And eating the rich is the antibiotic. <laughs> uh, bringing it back to, to Jackson, Mississippi. You know, they're, they're still feeling it. And a lot of this does tie to kind of, I guess, more racist allocations of money. Um, Mississippi and- having racist allocations <laughs> of money? What? Yeah, but but even in, if you look at it in other senses, just think about something like, you know, a hurricane hitting communities. In uh, more affluent communities, they might have more preventative measures or have infrastructure and homes which can better withstand certain levels of natural disasters. Um, even just thinking about things like earthquake-proofing homes, for example, like, that's not cheap to do. And, you know, at certain points, there's often, like, certain, like, legal requirements and whatnot for earthquake proof. But as an example, like, here in Oregon, we don't really get a lot of earthquakes. But when we do get an earthquake, it's expected to be a really, really, really big, bad one, right? So a lot of things like colleges and schools and stuff like that have been trying to do, like, earthquake retrofits and make sure that their buildings will still stand afterwards. But a lot of homes won't necessarily... Like ours won't, for example, to do that. Ours will fall down (laughs) if the wind blows too hard. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like in order to to add that kind of thing costs a lot of money, you know, and not everyone can afford to to do that to their houses if they even own their house, you know? (laughs) And all landlords are bastards and odds are they're not going to (laughs) help. But bringing it back to like something like a hurricane, if a hurricane sweeps through and destroys a bunch of stuff, They've also found that the, like, there's a couple of ways that minority communities are affected differently than white communities after an event. Um, so, for example, I actually have up here um, some figures about how a natural disaster can affect the wealth of an individual family. So, in, like, with a similar level of damage and cost and everything, white families living in an area with about $100,000 in damage, saw a wealth increase of about $26,000. White families living in an area with about $10 billion in damages saw a wealth increase of nearly $126,000. That does not seem like equivalent in any way. <laughs> well, think about like years. if a forest fire goes through or if their, something happens to their house. Like This is how much they might 
end up seeing their finances adjust, right? But compare that to black families. So if they live in an area with about 100,000 in damages, they see a wealth increase of about $19,000 and bring back the original figure for white families closer to $26,000. But for black families living in an area with about 10 billion in damages, they would see a wealth decrease of about 27,000. Now compare that to this other figure for the white families. For increasing over 120,000? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) A massive disparity in terms of how wealth is going to get distributed after an event. You know, whether that's a fault of the insurance companies, of property evaluations, or I I don't really know, but these are meant to be like comparable events. Yeah. And that's the extreme nature of the differences we're seeing. You know the worst part about that is? What? Even if the issue isn't racism there, right? uh-huh. like it's not actively like, and I'm sure it's many factors of racism. I'm not saying it's not, but even if, and then let's say an event that hits the, uh, the maybe like the Northeast coast in like a white neighborhood does the same amount of damage as one that's in maybe like the Southern black neighborhood, right? Hits maybe even the same fucking storm or some shit. I don't fucking know, but like they both hit. And they both do those damages. And if that difference is because, oh, the houses that those the black neighborhoods were just in shittier conditions or whatever it is, that still comes from racism. Exactly. And I guess another way to also yeah. kind of point this out is um, something a little bit less direct than like something fully happening. You mean so- like putting the Manhattan Project in the middle of New Mexico? <laughs> like actively making decisions <laughs> like those kind of decisions like actively making bad that decisions. or even just like so the distribution after like that kind of natural disaster so there's actually an example you can see in like la for example la la <laughs> <laughs> there was a neighborhood out there that was a primarily white affluent suburban neighborhood you know property values four hundred thousand on plus you know Rest. and they experienced what was a really really bad methane leak right so a state of emergency wound up being declared. Um, the 4,000 somewhat homes were evacuated. They were, they ba- the city basically ordered the gas company to give them temporary housing. Like all this stuff happened, right? Yeah. But in a different neighborhood that's located near like oil drilling sites and is 90% or so African-American or Latinx, they eventually closed the site after a lot of complaints because, you know, a lot of pollution from that. And this was only after EPA officials became sick after doing an investigation onto the site. That tells you how toxic this site was, that they went to go do an investigation and got sick. And that's when they're like, oh, no, you need to close this. Right? Yeah. And that was back in like 2013 or something around there. Right. But they had filed like over 200 complaints since the site opened saying, hey, this is harming us. Like this is causing us problems. And the only thing that happened was that there were some citations filed against the company. That was it. Yeah, that sounds, that tracks. Exactly. And that's another form of racism. You're literally saying, oh, these people are more important than this whole neighborhood. 
Why? Just because their properties might have been worth more? They're still individuals. That's how capitalism works, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of shitty without the kind of. Man, it's almost like one of us has been saying that for like, I don't know, (laughs) what, 12, 13 episodes straight that capitalism is the problem? Right. But it's it's deeply problematic. Capitalism? You damn straight. Or are you talking about the environmental racism? The environmental racism. Oh. Well, yeah, that too. But yeah. I want to point out, capitalism is also racist. Yeah. Because, like, even when you think about, like, you know, when a disaster does happen to an area, there's ends up being more investments and, um, like, an influx of, like, kind of more positive changes to the white neighborhoods they're going to get more of the attention my businesses are like oh that that land's clean i want to put a bill i want to put a fancy building there you know whatever it might be they're the ones who see a lot of the benefits from i guess the recreation and the reestablishment after a natural disaster event <sighs> that was a pretty big sigh there <laughs> i I dislike this topic. <laughs> and I All dislike right. it entirely because when is this gonna end? You know what? I'm changing sides. I am on the oil company side now. I want the world to end. I don't <laughs> think we're good at this. I think we should, like, we're just hitting the reset button. It's fine. All the good things will happen when we're all dead. Well, the nice thing, though, is that, again, public perception and awareness has drastically shifted. Because you have to think, environmental racism didn't really become known or, a, like, a, a proper thing until the 80s. I'm going to have to disagree with you on everything you're about to say. And I'll tell you why before you even say it. You're about to say that people are more aware of environmental racism. You forget we live in the United fucking States where we can't even agree that police are racist when they shoot unarmed black people. Even though they have done studies that literally show in like training exercises, they are more likely to shoot. That's what we're going to use for the example. Not the fact that every fucking year we have another fucking white supremacist gang infiltrating the LAPD, for example. Like, and no, I don't believe that people are more aware of it. They're more aware that it exists, maybe, but they're not going to do jack shit about it. Well, we can't even stop unarmed black people from being shot. Yeah. We can't even agree that that's an issue. Which is we can't scary. even agree that black lives matter. <laughs> but what I was going to say is... is it can? Sure, I'll say that too. Yes! But um, <laughs> I was going to say that we are seeing um gradual changes in policy we are seeing more grassroots organizations we're seeing um changes in academia where they're including things such as you know learning about environmental rights and learning about you know climate change and that kind of thing and acquiring certain degrees i actually read an interesting article academia is yeah you understand when oxford was open ages ago over, like, I think it was like over 200 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Oxford University, like pretty academia, Oxford, <laughs> kind of go hand in hand, right? You're telling me we just started doing this now. I'm... We just started doing this now in academia. <laughs> well, I think it's been happening for a while, but I think we're seeing a little bit more integration into other things. Um, like That's I, my point. <laughs> what I found was really interesting was I read in, in kind of like, 
I guess, reminding myself of stuff and giving myself good facts and figures for the podcast. I read an interesting article, which I haven't really talked about at all because it was more a, um, I guess, closer to like almost an opinion piece, like an educated opinion piece from a doctor who was talking about how she had this patient and she was this young black child struggling to breathe constantly in the um, doctor's office for her asthma. And it was, and like the doctor couldn't figure out, she's like, there's no reason. Like I'm not finding the right reason for why she is having so many issues with her asthma. Like she has been like, this does not make sense. So by chance one day she happened to just kind of look up on a map where this kid lived. Right. She's like, Oh, she lives in the black old red line district. And clearly that was contributing towards her having freaking asthma, you know? And a lot of her health problems. Yeah. And the doctor was like, why isn't this part of our common, like, policy to factor in things like someone's geographical location or proximity to um, harmful pollutants or something like that? Because, like, imagine if you could go to a doctor's office, you're like, hey, you know, I'm really struggling to breathe. I'm having these problems. Um and you can get a prescription for an air purifier for your home to be retrofitted for something. Um, maybe air conditioning units to put in if that's really what it takes, you know? What if those could end up being prescribed as part of the treatment plan? Because they're also factoring in the surrounding areas. They're factoring in where you live, the extra pollutants, the extra um, things you're going to come into contact with on a day-to-day basis that can have a direct impact on your health. Okay, like that sounds cool, but... That sounds an awful lot like treating the symptoms rather than treating the disease. Yeah, she, she was also advocating for like um, larger system-wide changes. So not <laughs> fighting the disease. Got it. Because um, like she was saying, like we shouldn't have to be treating these on a case-by-case, but like at least in terms of like what a doctor is likely to have the control to do, this is something where we would be able to make a difference. This is where we can make sure that we are tailoring their you know, plan to better health through also factoring in their pollutants. If you think about it, if someone came in and they're like, you know, I have all these lung problems and the doctor was like, well, do you smoke? And they're like, well, yeah, the doctor would probably tell them, well, quit smoking or do do something to try and like have that happen, you know? My, my but, mother smoked for like nearly 30 years. And for like, I was alive for like most of those. And my entire life, doctors have been telling her they need to, she needs to quit smoking. This woman went to the ER because she has asthma, COPD, in the middle of Rhode Island fucking snowstorm, okay, smoking cigarettes, and the doctors are like, you understand those are four bad things for you. Mm -hmm. Like, the snowstorm thing is bad for most people, but bad for you because asthma and COPD, and you're smoking on top of it, and my mom's like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, but the point is- Until she almost died. (laughs) But the point is that we could also take- that and also like educate the people in the areas like hey you know you aren't doing as well like after you moved into this neighborhood you know and like kind of educate them like oh this might be an issue you might get see more local activism you might see more people being like hey this is a problem maybe eventually we'll see more systemic changes from that but um like i said if you think about it like they will tell the doctors will tell them we'll quit smoking but if you live near a high level of like particulate matter that's just ambient in the air, you're going to be feeling similar effects in some ways to being around smoke or smoking, you know, but 
that doesn't get factor into the fact that, oh, they seem to have like lung problems. I wonder why, you know, <laughs> and that doesn't make sense. Like I actually just pulled up the numbers from a because different article that I was looking when at. Individuals make choices that are bad for them. It's their fault. When corporations make decisions that are bad for everyone. Well, who are we going to blame? Like they're just trying to make some money. Right. Or I pulled up- we could eat them. I pulled up some of the figures. This was from a study done that kind of analyzed other ways in which they were coming up with the figures for how many people are suffering and dying from fine particulate matter in the air. And they expect or predict or estimate, I guess, that about 8.9 million people are suffering from mortality specifically tied to ambient fine particulate matter, like air pollution. Gross. That's a lot of people. That's super gross. <laughs> exactly. Like that's almost as much as the leading global mortality risk factor of diet. And Are we gonna talk a about bit higher than fast. cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking, they expect kills probably about 6.3 million people. So to be clear, ambient fine particulate air pollution is predict is estimated to kill more people than smoking does and there was actually stuff in the article about like about how comparable smoking was to living in that kind of environment i don't remember all the fine details it was a lot of science <laughs> very dense and i was just reading it on my lunch but um we really read very different things on our lunches i <laughs> i once got in trouble at my old job for hey hey um could you look up less about serial killers while at work <laughs> and I was like, I. And here I am reading about like mortality rates and depressing environmental stuff. Yeah, that's totally okay, apparently. But you look up the uh, case files on Ted Bundy and suddenly you're committing crimes. <laughs> but anyways, that goes to show like how strongly it's impacting your health. And going back to that article, she was saying that. You know, there should be a way for doctors to at least try to factor that in, you know, whether it's um, including data like again, where they live, how close they are to certain hazards on the patient like profile. Like it just it makes sense, but we're not doing that. Um, I actually kind of appreciate it. And one of the other articles that I read was actually on a um, kind of going back to like how mentalities are changing. People are becoming more aware there's a set of like of um, like a journal or a paper that's put out specifically on medical things. And they wound up eventually changing their guidelines to factor in things like environmental racism. And it was in a few different ways. Like some of it was just them pointing out like specific ways in which environmental racism is prevalent, but also pointing out things like, you know, you have to meet these certain requirements now in order to have your paper published. So some things might be like, if you are going to attribute a certain level of um, risk or some kind of difference, if you're going to attribute it to race, you need to very, very, very closely justify that. Because if you're looking at a population, for example, and you're saying something like, okay, well, in, in this city, we noticed that, you know, the Latinx community is more likely to have a, like to suffer from lung problems and say, and if they try to say it's something genetic or due to them being Latinx, they, this paper will be like, um, 
have you looked at where they live? Like, yeah. have you looked at the other factors? Like, they will start calling it out. Yeah. Um, and you won't get you won't get published anymore. And mm -hmm. if you are in academia, you want to be published. You yeah. know, but you don't have to factor in things like that among many other things. Like, there's a lot of ways in which they are like cracking down on environmental racism, even within scientific literature. Yeah. Because you have to think about it. A lot of the literature, especially historically, was all white males publishing yeah. these papers. There's been a strong like lack of it, like proper scientifically studied information on, you know, everyone besides white <laughs> everyone besides white people. And sure. I was gonna say even with women, like there's yeah. a lack of women, especially in like mental health stuff in particular. Which brings us to a great book, Doing Harm. Oh yeah, yeah. What, you want to explain that book? Uh, it's and really, how it's relevant? <laughs> it's really, really sad. Um, I, it's incredibly difficult. I would say read, but I didn't read it. I listened to it. I have it on audiobook. Um, but it's really difficult to listen to, and I'm sure it's even harder to read. Um, because essentially what it goes over is that um, for a good majority of uh, what's it called psychology, right, and the history of psychology has predominantly been about white men. And yeah. that's a bit of a problem in medicine and psychology. Um, it's actually about medicine, not about psychology, but heavily on psychology, and I'm mostly interested in psychology. But, like, for example, um, women... Uh, when they would have issues, whatever those issues would be, they would be ignored or said that they were, you know, hysteric or whatnot and put in mental institutions. And I want to point out, they'd also be put in mental institutions when they weren't hysteric um, yeah. just because the men wanted to get rid of them. Uh, that's a historical fact and you can't argue it. But uh, it actually is really bizarre as it continues. Like it talks about how um, women will like what, well, was one woman, uh, the, the, the author, her name is Maya something. I can't never pronounce her last name and I don't feel like ruining, like fucking it up on air. But, um, this woman had an issue and she went to her doctor and she'd been complaining about the issue. And the doctor basically goes like, Oh, it's just probably cramps or it's just this. And basically yeah. just ignored her concerns for a couple of years. And then she goes to see a new doctor and the doctor is like, hmm, that's weird. And, you know, well, let's, let's look at it. And like, literally that, that was all it took was just, let's look at that. And also I want to point out, she didn't just go to a new doctor. She went to multiple. Oh, I'm um, sure. But eventually she gets the test done and the tests come back that, oh no, she, I can't remember exactly what she has, but she has a disorder that could easily, like her pain could have gone. Have we just looked at this and listened to her? Yeah. And there, so there's that, but also women are less likely to be their their what's going on with their bodies to be to be heard. But also you have to understand, like they make up half of our population. Yet biological female has been or for most of modern medicine horribly, horribly not researched like yeah. for example like uh i want this is gonna sound weird but like i want you to picture a woman having birth what position is she sitting in on her back why that's how because there was some guy's it. kink really 100 percent. Oh, literally some dude's kink do you know how they should be sitting and this was for like squatting or something on all fours oh yeah 
And if you look in indigenous communities all around the world, guess how they were having them have kids? On all fours in correct positionings. Yeah. Um, and like I could go on and on about that. Uh, but example, in Africa, we they were doing essentially what is a C-section for hundreds of years. Where in Western, and when I say Western, I mean white countries, though women were having the same problems as African women, but they were dying because yeah. Western medicine didn't have an answer for that. And the interesting thing is like now we're actually seeing kind of, I guess, the reverse problem where more um, women, like especially like African-American women are either dying or. Well, we were having more. Samaria, why are you chasing your tail on air? Yeah, come down, bro. But we're actually glad you brought that up. So I was actually about to uh, go into how does this affect women who aren't white? Well, for example, um, a woman, white woman who has pain and she registers it at, let's say, a seven, is, I want to say, like, an obscene number. I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was just, like, an obscenely high number percentage, right, are, like, more likely to get pain meds. Okay. Then say African American women who are immediately seen as like junkies and stuff like that, and that's a a major problem um, for multiple reasons. But specifically, when we're talking about just sheer racism, this is this is another version of that. Um, and uh, women of color have a higher mortality rate when it comes to. Uh, in, like giving birth, mm-hmm. um, they have a higher mortality rate actually in almost every category that is medicine. Um, yeah. I think besides probably suicide, which I think, think is still men. <laughs> uh, but no, like, you know what I mean? Like literally everything, more women, uh, women of color die on operating tables every year. More women of color die of treatable conditions than their white counterparts mm-hmm. um and it's an obscenely high number for infant not infant mortality rate, m- the mortality rate of mothers in neighbor like yeah, in labor. yeah like it's fucking dumb mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense and if like like if you're still sitting here like racism doesn't exist you're fucking dumb like it, it does. Definitely happens. And even if it doesn't exist, even if every single person on the earth today stop being racist, which isn't gonna fucking happen anytime soon, right? But even if that does happen, if we don't fix everything we've already done, nothing will improve. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even if we fix even just within our own borders, yes, it'll be great from everyone within, but that doesn't include everyone we are harming outside of our borders. So like there's actually a couple of case studies that we could briefly talk about. One is um, there's a specific town in China. I'm I'm not going to be able to pronounce it right, but it's a town in China where a lot of the world's e-waste goes to. Will you? Something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure. But a lot of the world's e-waste goes there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's not all like, you know, they're dismantling it, they're taking care of it and everything, but... They're also having really high levels of cadmium, lead, and copper in their water supplies now because of it. And, you know, that's their water supplies. We have children, adults. People are 
consuming this and have extremely high like blood levels for this stuff. So what you're saying is in like 70 years, China's going to have a bunch of boomers like we do. What? It was a, it's a internet joke uh, oh. that boomers are just the reason boomers are fucking annoying as shit is because they have so much lead in their system oh when they were kids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they're, they're still dealing with that. Like in another case, I'm, I read that, you know, a lot of, of like batteries get sent down, I think somewhere in Mexico and in the areas around where all these batteries are being sent and stored and everything, there's been a large amount of babies being born without brains. And what? <laughs> yeah, like I wish I'd read a little bit more about that case. Cause like the science part of me is like, Oh, that's curious. That's strange. Right. But at the same like, time, it's like, I don't want to read more about dead babies. You guys, like- <laughs> One of the most obnoxious parts of my brain is because there's a part of my brain that is 100%. Like, that is so fucking sad. What the fuck yeah. are we doing? Like, imagine being, There's another part yeah. that's just like, this is the most interesting thing you've said all week. <laughs> well, I mean, you've already <laughs> mentioned serial killers and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but if a serial killer removed brains, that would make more sense than a baby being born without one. Yeah, but like, it's just... It, it's... Wait, they're not related to me, right? Because that sounds an awful lot like my family. <laughs> But like, I mean, just, just imagining like what it's like for those families. So like, you know, they, they're going through pregnancy expecting a baby. I don't know if that's something they can see on their scans or anything, but like, imagine just having a baby and all excited for it. And like, yeah, a new member of the family. And then it doesn't have a brain. Yeah. That's exactly what happened when Timothy was born. (laughs) We were like, fuck, what are we going to do? No, I guess it is. It's, it's fucked up. It's it, like it is super fucked up. Yeah, and and it's just from us exporting stuff. So it's the whole idea of NIMBY, like not in my backyard. I don't want the electronic waste here. You know, like it's 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 sad, and it's another form of I guess in a way like kind of racism. We're saying it's okay for it to be in their neighborhoods and these communities, but not for us to take care of our own shit. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That. Again, I feel like I'm a broken record. <laughs> Sounds more like less an issue environmentally. It's an environmental issue, but I don't think it's environmental racism so much as capitalism. Yeah. I would say racism, but I think capitalism is racist, so. Yeah. But. And that is like an entire podcast <laughs> episode by itself. Yeah, but no, that's, I guess, kind of the gist of environmental racism. Like, it is prevalent in so much. And like I said, there are a lot of communities and um, a lot of organizations and a lot of people are really trying to combat it. Um, Like, I think we've actually seen more through the Biden administration do environmental justice work and like make it a national, like something they said that they're going to try and focus on more than like any previous president. Even this has been something from like the freaking eighties that we started talking about. To be fair, to be fair, the 80s had Reagan <laughs> and Bush Sr. I know, but I'm saying like... Hold on. <sighs> then, and it like, I could grant about both of them all day. Reagan was the worst thing to happen probably to the world, if not at least the United States economics yeah. ever. Um, George H.W. Bush was literally like the director of the CIA at one and, like, if that doesn't make you distrust him, I don't know what will. Clinton, uh, the, the Clinton family um, 
has ties to big shitty banks going back to like the 70s or some shit. Mm-hmm. And then we had George W. Bush, who's a fucking idiot. Then we had Obama, who is like the most pro-corporation president we've ever had. And then Trump was like, hold my beer. <laughs> um, to all of those statements I've yeah. said, other than the director of the CIA. Um, and then, yeah, like the bar isn't very high. Yeah. I just feel like Biden could trip over it. It's so, in fact, <laughs> it's so low, I don't think he would trip over it. I don't think he'd see the bar at all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think and... he could walk over it because it's underground. It's so fucking low. <laughs> like some of the things that they've done, for example, is they made like special like advisory council boards. They've They did a specific initiative, which if I remember right, takes like, they're supposed to designate about 40% of the federal investments um, related to climate change and like clean energy and stuff like that, specifically to disadvantaged communities and like marginalized communities, all of that. Um, so they're saying like, yeah, we are going to put at least forty percent towards these. Um, we could just take forty percent of the military's budget. <laughs> we could. We took forty percent of the military's budget. That's probably like six times the size of the yeah. climate change budget anyway. But they're also like developing other tools and stuff. Like I haven't read as much into like what they're doing, right. but. Um, like I said, we, we are seeing steps made, um, but it's not going to be a fast fix. Like, I think one thing we can look at and be like, oh, yeah, this is going to take a while. It's actually super fun sites. Are you familiar with those at all? They're what? Super fun. I thought you said super fun. And I'm like, this better <laughs> no, be super actually fun. super fun. <laughs> They're like, essentially, usually like really hazardous sites. So you might see like an old landfill that wasn't properly managed from years ago that's now super fun sites of how much is polluting the area. And if they're designated as super fun, it often means that they are prioritizing, like prioritized for getting cleaned up, right? Mm-hmm. The issue is while they might get designated as a super fund, these things, some of them have existed for decades and haven't been taken care of properly, or it's such a slow, slow process that like it's still impacting the local communities. It's still causing problems, you know? And um, it it's it's going to be a while, but I think we're at least on the positive. So things are 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 looking up. You say right? I think so. I want to point out that we can make it look even better if, and I'm just saying, not inciting violence, but if there were less rich people. However we do that, whether it be wealth redistribution or tying a chain around their necks with well, I thought you were gonna say a pound ball and throwing them in the ocean, a barbecue is a great option. <laughs> um, making them pay for the damage they've done so they all go bankrupt. All of these are great options, but I feel like the future would look better if we, you know... If we had to narrow it down to three words, eat the rich. Yeah, I think that would that would probably contribute, but we're not promoting violence. Not not promoting violence. But what I am gonna promote is while we were recording, I had an idea. I'm gonna make a t-shirt that okay. has a top it's a burger that has a top hat and a uh monocle. <laughs> Uncle Penny from Monopoly. Yeah. 
And it's going to say, eat the fucking ranch. What? Yeah. See? Or you could just say, mmm, tasty. Maybe. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It needs a good thing. And I feel like eat the ranch yeah. might not be the best one for that. But I feel like it'll be there. So we're done that. I think so. Like I said, if, if you're in some of these areas or near these communities, you know, if you are a linguist, maybe donate your time. If you're a lawyer, maybe donate some of your time and energy to help you some mean of these like people. Like, donate the capital that most of us use to make money? Time. Time. Exactly. Like there there are a lot of organizations. There are a lot of like communities that are suffering. Like if you need to be their representative because they can't make it for some reason, go help. Like go to these city meetings. And I know I've probably said that quite a few times at this point, and it's probably freaking annoying people. But like I said, if you can be proactive in your community, get on these boards if you're able to. Um, if you don't need to just donate to an organization, there's a lot of organizations which help fight um, environmental racism. Like just search for environmental justice. That's what it runs under is environmental justice is basically the, I guess the counter side to environmental racism. It's the people who are trying to bring justice to the environmental realm and to the people who are suffering from environmental racism. So Again, search for environmental justice. See if there's any ways you can help in your local areas because it's something where, you know, a lot of a lot of us live next to these people We're in the same city as these people. Like, like don't, don't be like the white savior or anything. Definitely don't do that. But, like, there are fellow human beings, you know, and companies and racist people have stepped all over. Them. I'm sorry. I dropped my phone. And, uh. Wow. And we can definitely do better. And yeah, there's enough barbecue to go for around. Yeah. Well, in that case, we're calling it, and that means FedFed, sign us off! <laughs> You're doing so good! It's two in a row, and more slobber, asshole. <laughs>